Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. You're listening to episode number seven with a quick review from the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast Meetup in Nashua, New Hampshire. Highlights from Oshkosh, ditching an airplane in the water, engine failures on departure, Picking an active runway at uncontrolled airports, co-host Tom Foolery, our picks of the week, and so much more. Only on this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number seven of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, joined with Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Newville. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. Anybody else there? Peachy, just great. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, the level of excitement tonight. Anyway, I'll just go ahead and get started. Let's do the pre-flight. So this, uh, while this episode is getting released, we just recently had a uh, a joint meetup at the Midfield Cafe at Nashua Boyer Airport in New Hampshire uh, with some of the folks from UCAP, Jack Hodgson, and uh, myself, Rick, and uh, or Rick and myself. And a few other folks from uh, from Twitter and a couple of the other podcasts. Um, Robert Sigliani was there. Um, who else was there? Dave Pasco from Live ATC. And Rick, who else was there? Some of the other guys. I'm not sure if they're associated with podcasts or not, but some of the other friends that were that were there. That um, you, know. you know, those you've named the ones that I was going to be able to name, unfortunately, off the top of my head. But um, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, Rob Robert flew. It was cool. Robert flew in uh, from Long Island in a Piper Sport, so we got the. We got to look at a Piper Sport up close and personal, which I thought was interesting. I mm-hmm. hadn't really seen one, you know, looked in the cockpit and all that. Some interesting choices there, but it, it's a fun, fun little plane, and he, you know, he had fun flying. He brought a friend with him, um, and uh, you know, and I flew up just from Norwood, a little short hop, and um, somebody else flew in, I think, in a Cub. Um, right? Jim, no, Rick number Rick. two. Yeah, Rick. Rick number two is that Rick Shep? I think. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure. I just call him Rick number two. <laughs> yeah, he. That's a cool plane. He's flown in before. That's a. That's a non. There's no elect, electric in that plane, so there's no radio. Yeah. So and he hand he hand props that thing. I mean, it's a whole experience watching him mm-hmm. enjoy that plane. It's yeah. pretty cool. It was neat. So yeah, so we hung out and we had breakfast and just talked about podcasting and flying and stuff and. And then everybody headed out. So it was, it was, it was cool though. It's fun to do. Yeah, and I'm sure, sure we'll do it again. As you know, next time, as soon as we can. And Rick got to Rick. Well, like he said, oh, yeah. he, he flew in, but he he took. It was a big day for him. It was his his first flight with a passenger. It just yeah, happened to be his wife. Yeah, it's very funny wow. because people. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably the one person who got my license and didn't immediately start loading his pals into the plane and flying them around. I think mostly because I really wanted to you know, get comfortable. I wanted the flying part to be much more comfortable for me and not feel the, the pressure of, of that, you know, how am I doing and how are they doing and all that stuff. So I kind of waited and, and, and learned and I shot videos and all that and, and a whole lot of time went by. And I knew that I wanted, uh, you know, my wife to fly with me for the first time at first passenger. And she, she's, she's totally into flying, flew a lot, um, 
with her dad when she was younger. So she, um, so she's cool with it. It just, the scheduling didn't work out and we, various things. So finally it worked out that that was the weekend and I was going to Nashua. I says, ah, come on, have breakfast. And, um, not, not two of my favorite landings ever, but I did okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I definitely, uh, it was fine, but it was, it was not, uh, it's not perfect, but then it rarely is. So it was good. It was again. It was a great flying day. So we had a great time, and I'm, I'm excited to now take all sorts of people up whenever you know. Now that I got the first one done, awesome. So yeah, uh, yeah it was a, it was a great meetup, and I look forward to doing it again. And hopefully, well, you know, at some point we can maybe all four of us get together and and uh, and enjoy that uh, that that event again. Now entering cruise flight. We want to get right into the material this evening. It, uh, you know, the show is coming out today, August the first, two thousand eleven. So recent events that just took place were Oshkosh Air Venture and Victoria. Actually, was, oh, go ahead. When you, the, the show's coming out on the fifteenth, I think. Uh, which one is it? Yes, this you're is, right. Yeah, because yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of them, but oh yeah, this will be a couple weeks delayed. But that's cool. We still we're recording right, it. Soon. August fifteenth. Yeah. I just got we're, back from Oshkosh. Right. What am I we're thinking? recording it. Yeah. So we're very fresh <laughs> right now as we record it. It's very fresh in our minds. It's fresh so. in my mind. Right. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yes. August fifteenth. So anyway, uh, Victoria was there for the week actually with her employer doing working in the booth, and she spent more time there uh, than I did. I was there for uh, about two days. Um, so uh, Victoria, you wanted to share some of the highlights of your experience at Oshkosh this this time around, and I guess actually just to recap a little bit you said uh you've told me previously that you've gone like many years in the past it's kind of a family tradition i think yeah it is it's this is probably my ninth or tenth time going um but until 2009 it had been quite a gap since i've last been there um and i'm sorry i missed you by like an hour we took off when you texted me hey i'm here <laughs> oh you have no idea i sh- i got there actually made it up there on an earlier flight and i was so excited cuz i was going to hopefully get to catch you guys and then go to the uh, the airplane east to oshbash and i got down to oshkosh and was driving around the airport like two times because I couldn't find the entrance. I had no idea. I was there, but I was just driving around in circles because I didn't know how to actually get on the property. <laughs> it can be a pain, and traffic can be horrible, too, around there. Yeah, so I did miss you guys. But, um, yeah, so you were there for the week, and, and how did that go? Well, it was different compared to all my other Oshkosh visits because I was working, and it sounds pretty boring to be behind a booth and a hangar all day, but it was kind of cool because I got to know my coworkers outside of work. Turns out they're pretty goofy guys, so that was cool. Um, You know, I got to meet current and potential clients face-to-face versus just over the phone and email. Um, I'm also more involved in aviation now, so I had tons of people stop by and say hi to me, including people I have, like, yet to meet, just people who follow me on Twitter or follow Mm -hmm. my blog, other podcasters. So that was neat. Um, Oshkosh is the ultimate place to pretty much meet up with other people, um, other pilots that you can't see on a normal everyday basis. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason to go. Um, I, I read the initial figures as well, and it shows that attendance is up 4% from last year. Yes. And uh, I believe that because uh, Friday seemed really crazy. That was the one day I got to um, get out. I got off a little bit early so I could enjoy the actual air show part. And that seemed pretty packed. And the Warbird exhibition, which is usually my favorite part, um, it seemed like there was more airplanes um, than previous years um, in the Warbird show. I remember when I was a kid, I just was so amazed at how many were there. And in 2009, I was like, well, maybe it's because it's been a few years. I felt like it was down. There weren't as many. But this year, I think I noticed a difference. So that was cool. 
Um, one quick tip, one of my favorite parts of the week, I was there Sunday through Friday actually, was when we took a ride in the Bell 47 helicopter. Um, those rides are over at Pioneer Airport and uh, you can take a bus to get there. I've heard um, great things. Of people, I've, this year in particular, I heard a lot of people talking about that and there's lots of pictures you know, on the internet from people's rides and it looks like a blast. The ride is because there's, um, it's kind of, it's not necessarily open cockpit, but there's no doors. So you do kind of have that, hey, I'm in the air, wind's blowing at me feeling. Yeah. And um, it's got like a bubble canopy, which is nice. Um, tickets are $45 a person and you can fit two passengers in there with the pilot. My pilot, um, you know, I told him that I was interested in flying helicopters. So he kind of like talked me through what he was doing when he was landing. So I thought that was pretty nice. Um, when we were up there, the air shell team was performing. So it was kind of cool to see an air show from the air. It's a view you don't normally get. Wow. Um, one tip, though, is there's no reservations for these flights. So it's best to get there before they stop the rides, which is around 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. And it is a first-come, first-served basis. You kind of wait in chairs, and then they'll tell you, hey, you're next. Go up there. So you could wait a while, too. So just a tip for that. Um, cool. What else? Do you see any cool stuff yeah. that, you know, new technology or... Um, you know, really, I didn't get much of a chance to go around exhibits and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. My boyfriend was doing all the fun things, and he'd come back and steal lunch at my booth and <laughs> brag about everything he saw and make me very jealous. Um, he did get to see Chuck Yeager and Bob Hoover speak. Oh, which cool. I oh, cool. was very envious of. And Harrison Ford was there. He was at the AOPA tent. Mm. Um, he wasn't dressed as Indiana Jones, though, so I was very disappointed. <laughs> um, if he was like that, I would have found Bob a way to get over there. Bob would have been in trouble. <laughs> yes. He's my other boyfriend. That, but yeah. <laughs> my, my backup boyfriend was there as well, um, John uh, Ponce from oh, Flying yeah. Wild Alaska. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I did meet uh, him, the uh, two other pilots, and Ariel Tweedo. Mm -hmm. um, they were signing uh, Flying Wild Alaska stuff at the Cessna tent. And cool. uh, they're very cool, down-to-earth people. Um, I, I wanted to know if Ariel got her pilot, pri uh, private pilot's license yet. My guess, let me go ahead and guess no. Yeah. <laughs> she would not tell me. Oh. <laughs> she's, so not a, to, she's not allowed to. She's not allowed to. contract. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So it kind of, like, forces me to, you know, spend my Friday nights watching Flying Wild Alaska again. Yeah. Based um, on those few episodes where she was flying... You know, I'm sure it'll be interesting to watch her continue. Yeah. You know, yeah. She, she was having fun. He, you know, and they both were having fun trying to help her do it, you know. Um, I, I was kind of calling her the Jessica Simpson of aviation. <laughs> at one point she, she pointed at a heading indicator and she didn't know what it was. And I was kind of like, do your studying, girl. But right. I don't know how much of that is play or, you know, just acting right. for show. Right. But she was a really cool person. I enjoyed talking to her. Um, but they did tell me season two premieres October 24th. So oh, cool. Um, hopefully we'll find out soon. And, um, uh, were there uh, a lot of people there at the tent? I heard that it was pretty packed. They... It, it was. I had a friend. They had like several sessions that you could come in. Uh, we waited in line for about 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, it wasn't so bad because I met up with another blogger who I had yet to meet in person. And so we just kind of chit-chatted in line until we, uh, you know, got up to the front. So, um, 
Other than that, I went. To, I did go to one forum, um, and I did earn, uh, learn some interesting stuff. I wanted to share. It was uh, from womenofaviationweek.org. Um, I've been very involved. I threw an event for them in March, um, introducing women to aviation through free flights. Um, her forum was actually on creating uh, women-friendly aviation businesses, and uh, there were four points that I thought were kind of important to share about. Um, why businesses should target women. Uh, one was women are the primary buyer in households. There's a high growth of women earning 100K or more a year. Um, I'm not one of those women, but it's uh, three times greater than a decade ago. Uh, they're under-targeted market, and uh, there are loyal customers, and frankly, we women like to gossip, so uh, we will spread the word. So. Those were some great tips that I thought why businesses should invest in uh, advertising towards women. And you can go onto the website, womenofaviationweek.org, to find more of her statistics. She really did a lot of great research. Um, there's also something on the site, how to become a certified woman-friendly aviation business. So um, I had a lot of fun going to that one because I'm really involved in you know, promoting aviation to women. So that, that was something that I did skip out on work to go check out. Cool. cool. That's neat. Hey, and what what was your just as another side? What was your favoriteest airplane? Favoriteest. Favoriteest. Yeah. <laughs> My like most DD favoriteest airplane. <laughs> Gosh. Um, I'm gonna have to choose uh, my boyfriend's next airplane that he's uh, yeah? going to buy once he makes his millions. It's uh -huh. the Lancer Evolution. Oh, and that cool. thing actually made me drool. And I usually think airplanes are cool, and I judge my liking them based on their colors. But this <laughs> one was awesome. And cool. I had, uh, hadn't seen like I saw a prototype a few years ago, and it was like white and boring. And this one was black and gold. So mm. I thought That's it looked neat. luxurious. Cool. Very cool. Awesome. Next well, to that, I'll choose the Wacos because those were right across from my hangar, and I would kill for a Waco. So. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, oh, and you got—you know—I should ask you this: you got to the um, the podcast meetup oh, or that's whatever, right. right? Oh my goodness! Yes, I did. Because I saw pictures of you there. <laughs> I texted Len, "Why are you making me doing this?" <laughs> I had no idea if it was going to be like live streaming on the internet. And uh, it was cool. It was, it was uh, co-hosted with my transponder at the Sennheiser tent, and they had uh, free booze. And I hadn't had dinner yet, along with uh, another one of my friends who was going to be uh, podcasting on there. And he was a wee bit tipsy, and I could feel myself getting a wee bit tipsy <laughs> so, <laughs> around. And I was one of the only girls, so it was kind of like, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but I really ended up enjoying myself and talking to all the other people so hopefully that's recorded somewhere and i can listen to it yeah they said that it would be but i'm not sure where or when it's going to be published i did yeah, check their website the other day i didn't see anything it's a little more i mean their past structure was they just recorded a, a live show like this and everybody put out the same file within their feeds which is a little easier to do i don't know it sounded like this one was meant to be edited um but i i don't know so we'll have to keep our eye on it mm -hmm. i don't think so um no? we kind of went in chunks first of all we all introduced um the first section was introducing new podcasts the second was um introducing like present podcasts so i talked about this one on the new one and then there were um people who got new ratings 
people who failed check rides and mm-hmm. a section on people who flew in. I think there was one more. So, you know, it was pretty cool. interesting. And there was a lot of people there, you know, willing to share their experiences. So great. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed it. I hope to be there next year for sure. And I'll take up yeah, the slack for you. Better you better be. I, oh, Thank yeah. You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this time I'm I'll, a pro now, so I'll make you look, you know, good. I'll bring yeah. food for you so you're not hungry. Thank I, you. I, I tell you, I'm so jealous. I wish I was there. And, uh, and you know, I, I was looking at your website and just kind of living vicariously through you. And I was I was teased by by flying over Lake Winnebago twice and wasn't <laughs> able to land. And and every time I went over, I said, oh, I got to go look at her website and look at her blog and see what else she's posting. And it was really cool. And I can't wait to see your pictures. So That's what I would do. Please. Like uh, 5.30 in the morning, the sun would just beat down on the tent. And I'd be up once, especially once the airplanes started up, like seven o'clock in the morning. That's all you would hear is just airplane engines starting. And um, I, uh, I would start blogging before I had to be at the hangar at nine. So, I, Victoria, I have a question. Um, as far as flying in, do you do most people t- get a tent and pitch a tent under their plane, or is that normal? I- there's two most. things you can do when flying in. A lot of people pitch their tent next to the plane, and then you can also just park. There's like uh, a parking section for the airplanes and then a camping section for the airplanes. If you go in the parking section, you can just, you know, go get a rental car and a hotel. Oh, but and camping, then... camping's the real experience. I mean, there's they have things going on all night long. There's theater in the woods. Mm-hmm. There's the fly-in theater, which was this huge blow-up. Um, screen with a projector, movie projector. Um, there's a beer tent that you can hear the live music until like one o'clock in the morning. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Is, so how many people do you think were there camping? I'm just curious, I'm trying to get my head wrapped um, around this. Gosh, I can't even tell you. Um, we were in home built camping and I know a guy who was flying his Columbia in and uh, it looked like the North 40, which is where most people camp, was pretty crowded. So he decided to come into homebuilt camping since there was a row or two free. And he, uh, since it looked like a Lance Air, he just kind of put a plastic thing that said Lance Air over the Columbia. <laughs> put homebuilt camping in his window. So I thought that was pretty funny. That's pretty clever. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty full. You know, there's, I didn't see many blank rows, especially come the weekend when it gets more popular. Well... It was uh, busy down, and I was down in the other half. I don't know what you call that, where the my transponder. Camp Scholar. Yeah, oh, that's right, Camp Scholar. Yeah. And uh, it's like it's like a whole city. Oshkosh is its own city. There's there's multiple uh, multiple bathhouses and shower facilities and stores. Um, they have like little uh, convenience stores and grocery stores. I think there's like three or four on the property. I mean, it's a laundry facility. It's like a miniature city that whole week. It's quite impressive. i had been there one for a day many years ago, just passing through, but had never done you know, the experience of being on property and camping and staying. And it's uh, like Victoria said, there's the nightlife is is I didn't even know. It's unbelievable. I had no idea what went on after after hours. It's, it was just so much fun. So it was pretty cool. You guys, I hope, you know, maybe yeah, we we'll can... Yeah, we'll try to organize oh, it for yeah. next year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will be working next year. I was told that. I was invited back. Well, that, hey, good that's job, good. So. <laughs> we'll come by and we'll tease you and laugh that we're out playing mm-hmm. and you're working. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, uh, Carl, you had mentioned, you know, you, you were flying back and forth actually at the day job over the lake and, uh, you know, feeling jealous. But, um, you know, coincidentally, your topic this evening that you wanted to share, do some discussion about is, is actually ditching an airplane. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and, and move over to that topic? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just briefly want to talk a little bit about it because, you know, all the excitement around Oshkosh, I don't want to bring the, the topic down, but unfortunately, I, uh, a colleague uh, of mine actually uh, went down in Lake Winnebago in a uh, Piper Cub and didn't make it out of the aircraft, and uh, unfortunately he drowned. But uh, from that experience, I started thinking, gosh, you know, I fly off an island all the time. I fly around water all the time. And even people that don't think they fly around water actually do, because we can look at look down and we can see little lakes, et cetera, and who knows where you're going to land, I mean, where you can land. Um, and I've known quite a few folks have put airplanes in the water successfully, but unfortunately this person did not. And most of the people that actually ditch uh, do the ditching properly, and normally what will happen is they can't get out of the airplane, mm-hmm. and that's what happened in this case. It was, it was sad, but but from that, I said, well, you know, what can I learn? Because one of the things that, uh, you know, just to be, uh, you know, frank here, I am really afraid of flying over the water, and I don't like to go outside of, you know, the gliding distance over water because, you know, from flying over an island all the time and flying out, you know, in the Bahamas all the time, I've seen airplanes in the water, and I've had friends go down. Mm-hmm. And uh, have thought about it and asked my friends before talking uh, tonight, you know, what did you do right and how did you get out of the aircraft? And, you know, the, the common theme uh, amongst all of them was this. And this is the, 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 the simple part of it. You know, we can talk about, you know, going with the swells and landing with the swells or against the swells. But the most important thing was thinking about how to get out after they were in the water. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that. I said, hmm. You know, and, and that was a common theme amongst the three people I talked to that actually were able to leave the aircraft. So I said to myself, what's really important here is not just the training about ditching that we give people, but what do you do after you ditch? That's really important. And, you know, at the airline, we talk about that, but, but we don't do that, I think, enough in general aviation. And, you know, my, a friend of mine put down in the uh, Gulf Stream about 25 miles to the east of uh, West Palm Beach. And he said the same thing. Prior to landing, there's a couple things you need to keep in mind. How am I going to get out? I need to open the doors. You know, in a, in a smaller plane, of course, we can open up the doors. If you're pressurized, you can't do that. But make sure the doors are open right before we land. Because what happens is you can land. It'll actually compress the airplane a little bit and possibly jam the doors shut so you can't get out. Unfortunately, that is what happened to this person over at Lake Winnebago. He couldn't get out of there. And they couldn't even get him out. And... The, the other folks that I've, uh, I'd fly out of uh, Peter O'Neill Airport, Tampa downtown, and the folks that I've talked to, most of them have just got up and walked away because the bay is really, really shallow. And uh, so then I, I thought about this when I was, I actually had an engine uh, power loss after takeoff at about 1,000 feet off the end of the runway. And I looked down and said to myself, do I want to put in the bay or do I want to put on the road? And I was able to get to the road, but the bay was right there. And so I kind of, you know, went towards the road. Luckily, I was able to get the, the engine back and land. I said, but what would I have done if I landed in that bay? So the, the most important thing about ditching is what are you going to do after you get out? So mm. how do we figure that out? 
we learn egress training. And in the airlines, they have egress training, but we don't get enough of it in general aviation. And uh, which will actually be my, my, I'll talk about my pick of the week later, which talks about egress training and where you can get it. But there's some terrific avenues you can go towards. And they're really not that expensive. And, uh, but, but again, the biggest thing is when you, when you do land, make sure, of course, you have the doors open so that you can get out, just like you do on a land, you know, when you land on land and uh, need to get out of the aircraft. And then after you land, you have to figure out what you're going to do when you're upside down. And that's uh, another thing I didn't mm -hmm. think of. My buddy over in, who went down over in the Atlantic, he actually he landed at 172 with four people on board, and they all got out of the aircraft. Now... I won't suggest you doing this, but the reason he got out of the aircraft and had a lot of time to get out of the aircraft was his wings were flotation devices. In other words, he ran out of gas. Mm -hmm. So there was so much air in the wings, he was able to, the plane flipped over and they were able to get out. But he did say it, it sunk pretty quickly. Uh, mm. But they, they um, and that's something that I did not realize until doing some research into this, is, you know, the plane sinks fairly quickly. And there was uh, another recent accident where uh, the person, I, I kind of wanted to talk to this person, but wasn't able to, in a 152 yes. landed, I think it was like Michigan, yes. and he uh, survived in the water. It was really cold, but, but he was able to, it, one of the things he talks about in the interviews is the fact that he was able to open up the door and think about getting out of the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was, that, that was a great learning experience for me. And, uh, you know, I think going forward, as I'm flying over the water, and I hope as our listeners are flying over the water, whether it's a, a lake, a stream, a river, et cetera, you'll think about not just how we're going to ditch because we taught that in our primary training. And if you weren't, maybe it's time to review that. But also, what am I going to do after I touch down? And how do I touch down? And what am I, how am I going to get out being upside down? You know, and that's, that's, a, that's a real interesting thing which uh, we'll talk about later, uh, some uh, avenues you can go towards so that you can learn how to do that. Well, excellent. Huh. And just to add on to that, if you are flying over water or any extended period over water, you should probably think about also having some sort of flotation device. If it's extended, like going across the North Atlantic, you know, there's other things and considerations, maybe even a raft or other things that you might want to think about. So appreciate you sharing that with us, Carl. In fact, I wanted to add, comment on something you had said earlier when you mentioned that you had had an experience previously where you had had an engine failure after takeoff. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that situation and what, you know, what we refer, commonly refer to as the impossible turn, and that is having a power plant failure on departure and having in that, that really strong urge and instinct to turn back to the runway. Um, and, and it's... To be honest with you, it's not a good idea for a couple of reasons. Uh, there was, a, you know, I've actually had a student that wanted to argue the situation with me, so I went out one day and I showed him exactly how this was going to happen, and I'll get into that in a moment. But basically, what happens if you've got some, if you have a, a power plant failure, and we're basically talking single engine at this point, because if you're twin engine or more, you're probably going to be able to continue climbing to a safe altitude and return to the airport. But in a single-engine aircraft, if you have a power plant failure on departure, you have to pick a landing spot. And, you know, it's recommended in training that you find a spot straight ahead or, you know, a few degrees to the left, a few degrees to the right. And you sometimes have that real strong urge to want to turn back to the runway. Why, Rick, why would you think you don't want to turn back to the runway? What would be a bad reason? Well, a reason to not do it is is because in the turn you lose, um, you know, you, 
you transfer some of the of the lift you have on the wings to to the turn and and you know you, you could stall and do a stall spin right um, and or lose enough altitude in that turn that you you can't actually make it because you're going to drop too far um, or you know or, or you'll stall I mean I don't know if that's that's one that's one issue right absolutely and the problem arises because you're at a low altitude and just like Rick said, you know, when you're in a turn, in level flight, when you're in a turn, you have the engine running, you're producing thrust. When you make a bank in a turn, you know that, you know, from your primary flight training that you need to add back pressure to compensate. And what happens is when there's no engine running anymore and you go and you put that airplane into a bank, if you were to try and maintain altitude or if you try to at least maintain your airspeed, you need to, you know, you'd be pitching that airplane back. And what's happening is your airspeed's bleeding off, and you could end up in a low altitude stall or spin. Now, a stall and a spin, they are, you know, they can be scary and they can be bad and fatal, but not under all conditions. If you're at a high altitude, four, five, six thousand feet, you know, you usually have time to recover. But the problem is at this point, if it's a, fa- a failure on takeoff, you're low to the ground. So, what I recommend is to consider your options once again straight ahead because here's my here's here's my big point it is better to land the aircraft off the airport off property in the trees on a road whatever the situation is but you'll be under control the aircraft will be under control versus attempting that dangerous turn back to the runway at a low altitude and potentially giving yourself putting yourself in a in a position for low altitude spin or stall so going back to what I was saying earlier, a student of mine wanted to challenge me on this one day, and I said, okay, smarty pants, I'm going <laughs> to show you exactly why I tell you this. And my recommendation, which I've done a little bit more reading on this since then, a lot of people say that you really shouldn't turn back to the runway until you're at a, a minimum safe altitude of at the traffic pattern altitude or higher. Mm-hmm. So most places, traffic pattern altitude is 1,000 feet above the ground. So if you're not 1,000 feet above the ground, minimum. This isn't, you know, an all-encompassing hard rule. This is just a, a, a recommendation, at least a minimum of 1,000 feet above the ground. Don't even think about turning back. So I took my student out one day to the airport, and uh, we, we went out to an, we, we took off. We went to an uncontrolled airport. We were practicing landings, and I said to him, okay, if you have an engine failure on departure, go ahead and do what you, you know, turn or do whatever you think you you can do within your level of ability as a student pilot to get this aircraft back to the runway. So we took off, and somewhere around 700 feet or so, I pulled his power to idle. He pitched for best glide speed in the Cessna and started turning. Well, don't you know that we didn't, and now I'm obviously I'm closely monitoring his airspeed to make sure that we don't stall in this condition. Um, and I suggest that if you, you know, if you want to prove this point to yourself, go out with a highly experienced CFI. Do not perform this maneuver on your own. It is dangerous. So I, we, we went out 700 feet. I pulled the engine. He starts turning. We got about 30 degrees off of the runway center line before we were roughly 100, 200 feet above the treetop level. I grabbed the airplane, added power, and recovered. And I looked at him. I said, so what happened there? <laughs> and, you know, he was he was just flabbergasted. He's like, I, I really didn't believe what you were telling me. And it, it plain and simple is when you're in the turn, just like Rick said, you're, you know, you don't have any power. You're losing altitude greater in, bank, in a banking turn than you are in level flight. So, like I said, my, my recommendation is do whatever you can to land somewhere straight ahead or a few degrees off runway center line so that you can land that airplane 
under control instead of doing a dangerous turn where you might lose control and, you know, something fatal can happen. So, um, you know, there's other things to take into consideration. I, I recommended a thousand feet minimum safe altitude above the ground. Uh, you know, that's one item, but, you know, you have to think of what is your obstacles? What is the terrain? What is my wind condition? Do I have a strong headwind or tailwind? Is it going to blow me farther from the airport? You know, some of these things will take into account the decision process if and when you should turn back for that runway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be, that's my recommendation. And, and I, pr- I proved my student the point in that. And don't you know, he didn't have this specific problem um, per se, but he did have an engine failure while in the traffic pattern later on after his private after he got his private pilot's license with me, and he came back to me and he was telling me this story and he's like, you know, all that training you gave me it really made a difference and I was able to get the airplane on the ground, and uh, you know, so it's just one thing that I see out there and I I you know I wanted to share what I had done with a student of mine and hopefully that helps you guys out there understand the dangers and, and, you know, what's, what's a better, what's a, uh, you know, a better decision. That's great. I mean, that's Excellent. a great, de- I love that description of you and that student. Cause it's, you know, it's a practical, you know, a demonstration of what can happen. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I certainly didn't get that. I, you know, I, I got why you shouldn't do it, but to hear you talk about it is pretty cool. Yeah. It was a fun, fun thing to demonstrate because I just, it was, it was the best thing he could do for learning. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, then I, I was able to tell all my students, I've gone out and I have done this and I have verifiable proof that at least if you're, you know, a thousand feet, if you're not at least there, it's probably not going to work for you. Yeah. And, you know, so, um, anyway, but, cool. uh, moving right along, uh, Rick, you wanted yeah. to share a little bit, you did want to share a little bit about that experience flying with your first passenger. Well, I did. Well, actually that, um, you know, I don't know that I have much more to say about that, except that it was, it. I'm glad I waited. As I said, I felt very comfortable. And um, so that it wasn't, I wasn't too concerned. In fact, we worked well together finding, you know, spotting planes. It was fun. It was fun to share the, you know, the things you do when someone's somewhat aware of what you're trying to do. She's not a pilot, but, um, but she was able to help out and we had, you know, we had a good flight. So it was good. Um, no, I don't know if we have time, but the other thing I was going to talk about was yeah, sort of sure. the gener- general issue of runway selection at un- untowered, uncontrolled fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason this comes up, and, I, and because you know, I'll throw it out there and tell you tell you my experience from this past weekend, and um, and then you guys can comment on on it. I think I think I learned something from from what happened, and uh, and then you can tell me what you think about it. Basically, um, I flew uh, went to visit a friend down at. Um, Plymouth, which is not a not a far flight from here, but it's a nice little hop from Norwood, and um, it's uh, a couple runways that that intersect uh, kind of e- at at either of their ends, so it's not centered. You know, there's they they sort of start at the same end of both runways and, and fan out, and um, and it's un uh, it's there's you know it's untowered, and a lot of people practice there, so it's a lot of activity usually, especially on the weekends, and this was a um, Saturday morning, I think. Uh, no, Sunday morning. Anyway, um, and so, uh, you know, I'm flying down, made note uh, at some point getting, you know, semi-close, made note of the, uh, uh, they have an ASOS uh, frequency. So I, you know, made note of the winds just, and, I, and I'm glad I did. I jotted them down. But, um, and then, I, you know, then I tuned in the frequency and started listening. And, uh, and I've been to this airport before. <clears throat> and so it's one of those where, you know, I kind of know it. And from the direction I was coming, um, I heard that they were using a runway that, you know, that was uh, runway six and, um, 
you know, so I was aimed to kind of just swing around from, you know, to make a bit of a right turn to get it in the 45 for, for the left downwind for runway six. And, and there was space in the pattern as I joined it. So I joined it. And, um, and I, this is the, it's a 172 I'm in, <clears throat> which I've only now flown about three times recently. And then prior to that, it was about six months. So I kind of feel like I'm in a relearning, you know, the feel of some things cause I haven't been flying it that regularly. And, um, uh, so, I and and I had memories of the last flight where I I I I think I had come into Norwood a little too fast because as as I landed in the 172, um, this was two weeks before. Uh, there was a lot of shimmying going on. I th I just felt like too much speed on the runway. Um, you know, it was I was on the ground and and got under control and it wasn't it wasn't any dangerous or anything, but it felt like oh you know I, I was carrying too much speed. So I had that in my mind as I'm coming in and I um, decided to go you know on the on the south side of, of the speed uh, curve for, for final and for, you know, round, you know, rounding out and um, uh, came down and, and rounded out and almost immediately, some over the numbers, almost immediately uh, stall, you know, went stall horn goes off just as I, you know, just as I rounded out and, and, and I, you know, and I was like, so I, so I, so I landed firmly and, and go, and then I guess going too fast bounced and I've, you know, I've done those a couple of times. So I powered up and, safely went around. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to try to mess with it. I, I wasn't quite sure what was going on and it felt a little weird. So I went around and, um, I will tell you that the next time around, uh, I carried a little more speed and, and bounced again, but this was a problem of speed. Cause now I was a little thrown and I, and I think I, you know, I think I was carrying too much speed. Well, um, I'll just tell you, so I got it, I got it down on the ground the third time and that was fine. And, um, taxied off, uh, said hi to my friend and, Soon thereafter, like within, you know, shut the engine down. He comes over and we hear on the PA that they're switching the runway to 2-4, the opposite direction. And, um, and then I went back and looked at my chart and noticed afterwards that the winds, though there, weren't a, there wasn't a lot of wind, um, basically there had been what turns out was a quartering tailwind mm -hmm. on 6. And... And he had landed earlier. He's, he's a student pilot, and he had landed earlier, and there was no wind. So, so two things that I think, two things are, you know, a bunch of things were going on. I'm, I'm getting used to the plane again, too. Um, you know, I think I was trying to land uh, that plane, you know, with a tailwind that, that does, I think, I would assume, add some challenge if you're not ultra familiar with, with the plane and how to, you know, how to hold it off and settle it down and whatever. And, and then, two, I think, you know, I, I said to myself, okay, you knew, you noticed the winds, you wrote them down, and then you heard the runway choice. And, and what I know now to do in my own mind, and you guys can tell me, but is to say, to the, you know, because the, the, there's a group dynamic going on. There's multiple planes in the pattern. They're all using six because they've been using six, but that is probably not the runway to still be using. And so it's probably the right thing to do to either get out of the pattern for a little while and suggest a change of runway to the group or, um, you know, or whatever, but don't, you know, just be aware that you don't have to make that approach that way. They switched it the opposite direction. And I should say then later they went to the, to the crossing runway. They, you know, we, they never again used, uh, six, because in reality, three, three was the better choice. Um, and that's probably what I would have chosen had I listened, you know, had I listened to myself. So I guess that's what I learned, which is, which is a little bit of, though there is, though you do want to know what everyone's doing and you do want to kind of use the pattern everyone's using for safety. It's not always the right thing to do. Uh, if, if you're noticing something a little askew, especially because mm -hmm. in those situations, the wind can drift and change and they do ultimately as a group think have to switch runways, which is a little trickier for them all to do than it is with a tower field. So that's my, I'm throwing it out there. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Um, 
as a story. Carl? Did we lose Carl? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm back. The, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank God. No, no, I made it. <laughs> I, know. I thought we'd lost you forever. No, no. What were you doing? No, I was dozing. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> they, you know, it, it's interesting because it, it, I was just thinking about this today. It's like, well, you're making your the suggestion. Hey, should we go this way? Go that way? I fly into a place to Venice, Florida, and it's like a beehive. People coming in and changing runways. And, and you know what? There are times when people will not take the runway that they should for takeoff. In other words, I've seen guys take off with 15 knot tailwinds out of out of Venice, yeah. and and that doesn't mean you should do the same thing. And and I've always said to my students and to myself and Rick, just take charge and say, hey guys, I'm going to use this runway because that's the safest one per the winds. And uh, if right. I can fly overhead and see the see the windsock and say to myself, yes, that's that's the way I want to land. And right. it was interesting because this morning or this afternoon I was landing over in, in Newark. And uh, sure enough, they're switching up runways. And we have, I'm landing one way and, and another plane's landing the other way. And we're trying to say, hey, guys, <laughs> maybe this is time to, to switch around the runways. And we're trying to convince them, you know, miles and miles away. And that's at a tower-controlled airport. And they said, no, 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 you can still land on this one. I was like, okay. So we landed with right. a tailwind. But and I've certainly, I, I've certainly dealt with the tower thing where, the, you know, you, you, no, no sooner have you taken off than they switch it and you're going the other, you know, not the other way, but you're going to a crossing runway or something. And that, so I'm used to that. It was just interesting. And the, I should say about Plymouth, I could very easily have landed on 3-3 and not gotten in anybody's way because they cross at the ends. Mm -hmm. So I had plenty of, you know, I would have called it and everyone, but it would have been cool and they could have kept going in and I could have actually done what I wanted to do. Uh, but there's this other thing where I went, gee, am I right? Am I making the right decision here? Because no one else is doing it. So anyway, it was an interesting learning experience. And isn't that tough to do, you know, to, to say, hey, this is the right thing to do and, and yeah. go against the grain, you know, I found. But anyway, Victoria, what were you going to say? I was just going to say when you're at uncontrolled towers, people can just be like lemmings, you know. They just follow what everyone else does, you right. know, because the person before was doing that. And I've actually been in the pattern recently where someone was going, uh, landing and taking off with a tailwind, practicing landings. And I was like, well, I'm going to go this other direction. And for a good 10 minutes, we landed opposite directions, and it, it was kind of freaky. you got to keep track of, you know, where they are. But yeah. finally, they kind of got the point. Oh, yeah, there's a windsock. I should go <laughs> the other direction. Right. So it, 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 it's, it's cool. I know, I, I know what I'll do next time, and that's pretty cool. So that's why I thought it would be good to talk about because, um, you know, I practice a lot. I mean, I learned at a towered field, so I have less experience at, at untowered fields. And um, that was kind of a new one for me, that I, and I actually – knew enough to make a different decision and didn't act on it. And, and it turned out okay, but it was a little frustrating. <laughs> you know, my landing back at Norwood later was, was great, and, you know, everything else was great. So uh, there, was some, there was some funny stuff going on there. It was interesting. Okay. Can I just make one more comment about this? And uh, is I think that, you know how we're supposed to, as instructors, now call them non-towered airports? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? They call them uncontrolled fields Those for a fields. reason. Right. <laughs> and you just proved that point. Yeah. <laughs> they, they truly are uncontrolled. Right. And, and, uh, and, and those guys you, were all, and those other people in the pattern were, I'm sure, 
either didn't notice or were actually trying that or wanted to do it or they had their reasons, that's fine. But I don't have to do what they do. You're right. Mm-hmm. No, and and not only that, you ever had people try to control you from the ground? I don't know if anybody's run into this. They say, yes. you know, where are you? Yes, and it's like, where, well, <laughs> where are you? You know, you start that. You know? <laughs> I'm not telling. You know, <laughs> it's like, gosh, right. and, and say your position. You know, it's right. like, God, right. guys, and, you know, you just announce your position because what happens is you have all this banter go on, and uh, and then that even gets more confusing. So. Yeah. Keep your eyes open and, and just, just watch out. You know, it is, it is an uncontrolled field or non-terror yeah. field. But uh, great, great point. That's a great discussion topic right there. And I'd love to hear yeah. from some of our listeners about some of their experiences at some of these non-terror fields and, yeah. and their inputs into this and to your experience. Absolutely. Uh, don't forget, folks, you know, if you want to ever send in any comments you can leave a comment on the blog at stuckmikeavcast.com or on facebook or twitter and always as always we'll take a take a mention at it on the air our picks of the week on to the next part of the show the picks of the week and i want to let victoria go first because she has probably one of the more fun and interesting ones um (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like a flycation so go ahead and uh, tell us what you were gonna talk about today victoria heck yeah um mine is crooked island lodge in the bahamas and uh, the reason i chose this was they had a booth at oshkosh and um they're basically promoting their lodge and what it has which makes it cool for us is a 3500 foot runway And it is one of the farthest islands out um, in the Bahamas. It's 387 nautical miles from Fort Lauderdale. Um, There's no customs on the island, though, so you'll have to check in somewhere else and then fly over here. But that's the whole point of the Bahamas. I've been wanting to do a trip there forever to island hop. So um, I will now, now that they have a deal going on for, I don't know how long it lasts, but all the pilots who visited the booth at Oshkosh, Lodging will be $100 a night, and if you buy three nights, the fourth is free, which is pretty cheap for the Bahamas. Uh, Crooked Island, which is is on, is actually one of the more lesser visited and quieter islands. Uh, there's only two hotels on it, and it has just above 200 residents, so it seems pretty tranquil and quiet. Um, it's known for uh, being a great place to catch bonefish, and I don't know what they are, but apparently they're cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great sport uh, fish. <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, the website is pits, P-I-T-T-S, townpoint.com. Um, they don't mention the deal on there, so I think you have to have the flyer from Oshkosh to get that deal, but I think it's normally 150 a night, which kind of is pretty good compared to a lot of the other islands that are very resorty and pricey. So I am adding that to our list, and hopefully... Uh, I could be reporting about my Bahamas trip on here sometime uh, in the coming months. Cool. Well, let me know awesome. when you go down. I'm going to borrow my friend's plane, and we'll we can do a we can do a joint trip. Let's do it. I'm excited yes. already. That well, wouldn't be my plane, would it, Len? Yeah, well, it, it could be, but it, I was going to say I'll borrow my friend's plane, and you can come along. We'll just pick you up in Tampa. That'd be cool. Let's do it. <laughs> There'll be a little bromance going on there. Whoa, good. hey, wait a minute. Hey, we're we're going to bring our special lady friends. Yes. <laughs> special lady friends. Nice. Wow. Um, um, 
Uh, Rick, uh, what did yeah. you? What was your pick of the week for today? Well, I, I think um, I had a video that I posted or a picture. I think that, and I think Victoria, you mentioned. I think you said, "What are those headsets you're wearing?" I think I recall oh, yes. that. And um, so I thought, well, I'll talk about those. They, um, I, I actually got them. I guess a year ago now at uh, Oshkosh 2010, um, and they are Clarity Aloft headsets. And I do get a lot of questions about them in the videos. I got them because um, John Wellington, who I'd flown with that year over there, used them. And um, and he sort of, you know, again, another John Wellington convincing me to buy something story. But there aren't <laughs> many of those. Uh, we're almost out of those. But um, it's basically a headset without, without the headset over the ear thing. There's no clamping uh, above the head. It is in-ear um, uh, you know, a headset that with a kind of a back strap that hooks around the ears and then has the mic on it. So there's nothing above your head. Um, I think people, a lot of people like them who wear hats um, when they fly or want to wear hats. They also, for, I, I do use it when I'm going a little further um, uh, because, you know, just for longer trips. And uh, I used them on the way back from Oshkosh and, um, and they're very comfortable that way. They're, they're, um, uh, passive noise uh, canceling, mm -hmm. so but they do great. But they're great. I mean, it's amazing how, how you know that they're, they're as good. They're, I don't know if I guess I would say I'm not sure they're as good as the noise canceling headsets I, I um I also have. But they're very good and and good enough that that I don't really notice you know notice the difference that much. So um so you know if you if you want to you know look those up, we'll put a link here on the in the. Uh, enhanced content and um it's called clarity aloft and uh, you know i recommend them actually i'm looking at the website now and they now finally appear to have um, a version with uh, bluetooth yes uh, which is which is nice so i may actually have to call them up and say hey how do can i trade them in and oh. pay, pay a little more because i do like the bluetooth uh, in the ones i have as well so um anyway that's it highly recommended i think they're great they're gonna break I your heart have... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, they're going to break your heart because I did ask them this week at Oshkosh, okay. Rick, if you, they had a trade-up program. I have the original Clarity yeah. Loft that uh, came out um, when they came out roughly six, seven years ago. They okay. do, however, have, for 250 bucks, you can buy the Bluetooth adapter. Your oh. current Clarity Loft will connect into the tip, and then um, there's wires that will connect from the base of that and into the aircraft so you can install it manually you don't it won't be hardwired you can remove okay. it and add it uh in fact okay. i'm sure it would work with any headset at that point to be honest interesting um, we'll have to check that out so it's cool and i uh i'll include also in the show notes i actually did a review on the pilotreport.com for this very headset because i bought them seven years ago when i was instructing primarily for similar reasons like rick was mentioning there's no clamping and after you know instructing seven eight hours a day i needed a different headset uh, you know, for comfort reasons, and I think they work great. I've used them in all kinds of different GA airplanes, piston airplanes, and even in a jet at work. Uh, and they're they're very quiet, and, and I like them uh, basically because you don't have to replace the batteries. And it seems right. to me like the replaceable. They do have ear, you know, like um, the air tips that you use. They do get dirty, but they seem to last me much longer than a set of batteries would. So pretty good headset. I love. I, Carl. Uh, did you have a pair, I thought, or did you I have actually, a pair? I actually, I like them so much, I have two pairs. There it is. There you go. And okay. I bought, well, and just one comment on that. I, When I met with the folks at Clarity Aloft, there are certain airplanes that uh, you have to use the TSO'd version. Yes. And uh, if you do buy the TSO'd version, there are certain aircraft where, especially DC-powered aircraft, where 
it might interfere with mm -hmm. the communications or you might get some feedback. Mm -hmm. What uh, And I was actually uh, recording a lot of this uh, when this happened because it happens at the plane that uh, Len and I both fly that it will interfere with the communications and there's a lot of feedback. What uh, his solution was is to come up with this Bluetooth that you could purchase. But now, and I'm just looking at now, that, that Bluetooth is actually hardwired in there, correct? This new uh, On the current I, version it is. Yes, but like right, I was okay. telling Rick, there is a there is an after. It is the same adapter, but you can plug it into your older version existing headset and still get the usage of it. Right, and that's what his suggestion was because that will actually process the signal, so you don't get all that feedback. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, I used to drive people nuts when I was uh, flying with my TSO version without the Bluetooth, and uh, it, it because there was so much feedback on the aircraft that I was flying. So yes, it's a but it's a terrific headset, and I would highly recommend it, especially with the Bluetooth. If you're flying certain airplanes, you might want to check into it. And the and the manufacturer knows what those aircraft are. Mm -hmm. There's a okay. handful. It's just a few, and they they'll they'll work with you on that. And cool. uh, like you said, you'll get a discount. But great headsets. Yeah, great. Well, Thanks, there you go. Man. There's four recommendations. Carl yeah. has two. <laughs> I've got one. Rick's got one. <laughs> it's a, it's just a good headset, you know, and, it, yep. and best of all, it doesn't mess up my hair, which is, uh, that's a bonus. For that's me. key. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what you have left, you don't want to. <laughs> thank mess up. you. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for mentioning that. I'm, I'm glad you weren't there because we were drifting back to the bromance thing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, that's it. All right. Well, I'm going to move this into my pick of the week. And, um, and that is an iPad kneeboard for uh, flying with your iPad. And this ver the one that I found that I like the most is the Avpad by PIC Supplies. Uh, Michael Ladd of Tennessee came up with this idea. Basically, when the iPad first came out, he uh, was looking for various knee pad options, and he didn't like what was on the market. He decided, you know what, I'm going to try and make one for myself. And uh, through different iterations and versions of the product he was able to come up with something that he's actually selling and at Oshkosh was actually my first opportunity to see the product in person I had interviewed Mike on the pilotreport.com and he'd showed us given a walkthrough of of uh, the Avpad iPad kneeboard but I hadn't seen one in person and I uh, also at the show was able to see I can count three of the names that I wrote down but I know that there was two more uh, I also checked out the MyGoFlight kneeboard, the iPro Aviator, the MyClip iPad thigh clip, uh, and I know there was two more. And I went back to the Avpad and I said to I said to Michael, I said, "Listen, bud, you've got you do hands down have the nicest product. The other ones were not as high quality in workmanship. They didn't have as many features on them. Um, they, you know, they just." They didn't compare, and I was excited to see, you know, somebody that I had met with a product that was working, and he had a lot of feedback, sold a lot of units at uh, Oshkosh, and that's, um, let me see what the website is, but the product is Avpad. I think I'm on it, theavpad.com. That's it, theavpad.com, uh, and it's really great. It's uh, It holds your iPad in one side. It's got a pocket uh, on the front so that you can tuck stuff in there, charts, manuals. It has a pen holder on the side. It has a Velcro strap that you can use to put around your knee. You can also tie the strap together and set the, set the uh, knee pad up like an A-frame so you could put it on a table or a tray table in the back of a commercial airplane and use it as a stand so that you could watch movies or do something 
uh, like that in that position. So it has it has a lot of functionality, and uh, and it's you know like I said, after seeing the other products out there this weekend at at Oshkosh, I uh, I think it's the number one product out there, and I highly recommend you take a look at it. Theavpad.com. Cool. Very cool. You know, they, they need somebody to model this where it, it's actually attached to their leg, you know, like Rick's famous knee pad there. Oh, there we Rick go. out there and, <laughs> and, and there. model this. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it looks good, but I'm wondering, and it feels good when it's on, right? Right, uh, Lynn? It's yeah, it's, it's binding. Or, no, it's great. And in fact, a lot of people who weren't even pilots or weren't going to use it for flying were just buying it because it's, it's almost like a great all-around day case because um, it's like it makes a nice little type of planner case to carry it around and and they actually said that they've had a lot of reception from college students uh using the product you know to put their ipad in there and a notebook and that's all they've been carrying around at school so it's kind of has some other utility you know other purposes and and uses for it um and actually one thing i did want to add is uh i believe last i recall portions of the sale proceeds of sales go to a nonprofit, I think it was Pilots for, for Paws. Does anybody remember the name by chance, or did you see it quickly, Rick? There's a P- Pilots for Paws transferring uh, dogs I'm that lo- need I'm homes looking. from yeah. one location to another. Uh, so I'm going to have to get back on the proper organization, but part of the donation or part of the proceeds do go to an organization that it, that um, takes care of transporting uh, transporting pets and animals and it's really you know they they're they're adding to a lot of great causes with what they're doing so they're not just out there making a great product but they're also helping out the community and and it's really great cool awesome Woo. yeah woohoo exactly so uh what anybody anybody did i missed on this evening Has somebody wanted to add or what do you got I'll Actually, volunteer uh, to be a the to leg Carl? model. Oh yeah, yeah. my my pick of the week, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we forgot Carl's pick. Oh, did I? That's You're okay, right. Len. I did. Go ahead. It's getting back at me for my comment. You see, you know, I don't know when the show's coming out. I, I don't know. So, Lord, that's okay. And I thought I was tired. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But yeah, I do. I do have one. It's I actually alluded to it earlier. But uh, when you know, Len and Victoria and I, and of course Rick is invited, fly down to the Bahamas together. I think one thing we need to do before we go is to review ditching procedures. Well, there's uh, somebody. That actually, many years ago, he uh, ditched his aircraft, uh, or an aircraft, at, excuse me, he was an aircraft that ditched. He was a passenger in a 150 back in 1977. He was able to get out and also help the pilot out who was unconscious and save his life. And ever since then, he uh, decided he'd do a lot of research and maybe start training people on how to get out of an airplane that's gone down. And, you know, I didn't realize this, but uh, 90% of the people that... Uh, or these are in all the aviation publications, end up in the water uh, while they're flying, actually drowned. And uh, that's not good. Uh, so what he did, he says, gosh, you know, I want to I want to form an organization called DunkU.com, and uh, it's aviation egress training. It's at DunkU, DunkYOU.com. And what he'll do, he'll actually come out to your pool. He has equipment that's portable, and he'll teach you how to actually... Uh, to get out of an aircraft that's uh, that's actually been in the water by using the simulated, uh, I think it's a 206 Cessna 206 cockpit, and uh, you'll learn how to f- how to go into a you know even a darkened pool and how to find your way out. Uh, and uh, it, it looked kind of scary actually, 
but I think I, I'm going to give it a shot one day and uh, definitely go out there and, and give that a try. But it's at dunkyou.com, and he also has a book about it, so you can actually purchase his book there. And uh, I think I, th- I would highly recommend it to anybody who's flying over the water. He'll teach you how to get into a raft, teach you when to inflate uh, your uh, life-preserving preservers and how to put them on in case you're not wearing them, which we normally aren't, and, uh, and also some other hints about how to survive in the water. So dunkyou.com. Cool. Very cool. It's great. Very fun. So is it kind of like dunk you duck? Is it kind of like what they do in the military where they put yes. they tether you on a line and it's similar, but uh, it's 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 made out. You know, it's a much smaller device and it's mm-hmm. a lot less expensive. Uh, so I think that's why he can make it affordable for you. And it's very safe from all the reading I've done. You know, he actually has people in the pool, so you don't you know get into trouble, and uh, they will get you out in case you can't. Uh, and it's scary. I mean, being underwater and not being able to breathe, and uh, mm-hmm. you know that's uh, that's really scary. And and he does teach you how not to panic, how to you know get out of this this aircraft. And um, he also has some devices that I think are pretty cool. Uh, I actually uh, have one in my car. I actually got caught in a car where I couldn't get the seatbelt off, uh, but luckily I always keep a knife inside, and I was able to cut myself out. But uh, he has a seatbelt cutter mm-hmm. that you can keep in your car, and I think that's a great. Or in your airplane, also, I think it's a great idea. Well, you know, and you had a good point earlier, though. You just back up for a moment in the discussion. You said you, if the airplane, you know, you may ditch the airplane, the doors are open, you may be safe, but if you're upside down, you may be completely disoriented. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things you could learn from a course like that. So I appreciate you mentioning it. Yeah, and I definitely want to take this. I think that'd be really, really cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, I know mo- probably most of us in the in the continental U.S. fly primarily over land, but still, it's a good skill to have, good knowledge. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, I may so. be incorrect here, but I'm on their website. It looks like they're just in Canada. Actually, they will come to you. Then they are in oh, Victoria. Okay. Yeah, the guy's in Victoria, but uh, he'll set up. Uh, you know, an appointment where they can come out to you. But, yes, they have dunker simulators. And, I, I, you know, that was one thing that I couldn't, the information I couldn't get prior to this is, you know, how many people, you know, what type of cost are you talking about if they do come out to you? But, yes, they're up in Victoria. I'm sure it could be affordable if you got a group. You know, that would be a great group. Yeah, yeah. You know, just get a bunch of pilots together, do this, film it, put it on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and by the way, this this uh, person actually uh, won the uh, safety award for, for Air Transport Canada in, I think it was 2007. So that's pretty, pretty for his commitment to uh, teaching people how to uh, egress from an aircraft that's actually in the water. And there's actually some cool pictures of the plane that I think he put down in the water, too. And how they pulled it out and stuff. It's kind of funky looking because his wheels are like in a 150, I think it is, 152. They're like right, they got bent upwards like a V, and the hmm. engine fell off the front. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Wild Neat stuff, though. Yeah, I tell you that. It's still, it, it does, like, like I said, I, I'm really apprehensive to flying over the water in a single engine. I've done it often in twins, and uh, I know, I guess I'm chicken or whatever, but. I'm going to go with my dive instructor next time I fly over the water. So I figure he can swim real well just in case. <laughs> he just happens to be one of my students. Bring, but, bring your scuba gear in the back. Put it in the back. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have one of two adventures today, which I don't know. <laughs> the after landing checklist. Okay, so now I'm going to ask if I miss anything. <laughs> God, what a night. <laughs> What a night. Uh, I don't think, I think everybody got in with the things that they wanted to share this evening. It's yep. been a great episode, episode number seven of the Stuck Mike Avcast. This time, I'm going to get it right. It's coming out on August the 15th. 
um, that's, well, when you're hearing this, that's today or after. So, after. Yep. So uh, for the folks um, interested in getting in touch with us, uh, Victoria, how can folks get in touch with you? Um, I, I don't know. I just blanked out. Um, Toriaflies.blogspot.com is my blog, and that'll have all my contact info. Awesome. Uh, Carl? Oh, I uh, blog at expertaviator.com or on Twitter at expertaviator. Awesome. Uh, Rick? Uh, the blog is rickfelty.com, and on YouTube, the videos are at rdfelty. rdfelty, great. And I'm at thepilotreport.com or on Twitter at thepilotreport. And uh, like I mentioned earlier in the show, if you're interested in sending in questions, comments, feedback, whatever it is, stuckmikeavcast.com. There's a contact us section, or you can leave a comment in the blog post associated with the episode. You can reach us on Twitter, stuckmikeavcast. We're also on Facebook, or email is stuckmikeavcast at gmail. Com. Episode number seven, we really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for listening this evening. From all of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, Len, Rick, Victoria, and Carl, thanks for tuning in and have a great night. Clear skies and calm winds, everybody. For those of listeners who have asked us for an MP3 version of the Stuck Mike Avcast, it is now available through the iTunes store. Simply search for Stuck Mike Avcast MP3. You'll find two feeds, subscribe to the one with MP3 in the title, and you'll be ready to rock and roll. been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.